Gentle Catholic Parenting Podcast, where I explore gentle, positive principles of parenting through the lens of our Catholic faith. I'm Kim Cameron Smith, and this is episode four. Today, I'm going to focus on tantrums. Tantrums are definitely hard for many of us to understand and deal with. I think it's the intensity of a tantrum. You know, I mean, some kids have very intense tantrums and other kids, they're not, they're very mild. All of my children have had tantrums, but one of my sons used to have incredible tantrums. He wouldn't just cry or be upset. He would collapse on the floor and, you know, <laughs> is the typical, like, you know, typical vision of the t- of the toddler pounding his fists on the floor, and he would even bang his head on the floor sometimes. So of course, this upset me, and um, I didn't really know how to handle that. You know, when they first started happening, and I remember this one day, he was starting to have one of these huge tantrums, and he he kicked a wall or maybe he threw a toy or something, and I just blurted out what's wrong with you? And my husband kind of caught my attention, you know, kind of, um, you know, off to the side, because he knew that I didn't really want to say what I was saying. When I when I was saying, what's wrong with you? My son, who was, he was probably between two and three. Those kids are so literal. So am I suggesting there's something wrong with him? Of course I wasn't. But at his age, he would think that. And so anyway, I decided that I needed to learn to understand tantrums better, like why they happen, are they avoidable, and if they're not avoidable, how can I handle them with a little more grace than I had been with him? So today I'm going to focus on tantrums, and they're going to be the tantrums that toddlers and young preschoolers have. Older children and teenagers and even adults do have tantrums. Uh, but how, why those tantrums happen and how you handle them, they're distinct. They're very different from, you know, these, these tantrums that happen in our little, our little guys. So um, our little kids, the, t- the toddlers, they have what's called a, dis- a distress tantrum. So a, dist- a, di- a distress tantrum happens because the child just becomes very overwhelmed frustrated and their feelings just well up and explode they do not have the self-regulation to control them so during a distress tantrum the child really is in emotional pain he is not trying to manipulate you or you know he's not a bad kid he really is panicked and and there are tears and oftentimes they can't communicate very well. That is a typical sign of a distress tantrum. The older kids will have tantrums that, you know, they usually aren't crying and they're usually very clear in their communication. That is not a distress tantrum. So why would our well-loved child, whom we adore, why would they feel so unhappy? You have not done anything wrong when your child is having a tantrum. We often think we've done something wrong when our child is upset, but distress tantrums happen because of our child's immature brain development. So he's 
genuinely out of his mind. They're, the freak out part of the brain takes over and the rational part of the brain is offline. In fact, little children don't have the capacity to override that freak out part of the brain like we do. So when we start feeling like our emotions are welling up and we start thinking, you know, I'm going to hit him or I'm going to scream at him, we can self-talk and talk ourselves down and make a decision. We basically, we have mixed feelings and we're able to make a decision about how we want to handle ourselves. Well, a 12 to 18 month old or even a two to three year old, they just don't have that capacity. They can't self-talk. They cannot rationalize about what they're feeling. So they just act on their feelings. So a child usually gains the kind of decision-making and self-control that they would need to do that self-talk. It starts to happen at around the age of five to seven. And if you have a very sensitive child, it can be even a little bit older. So, so what are we supposed to do? So we are their guides during this time. We are their guides. So they need our help to calm down. So we have to, we use our ability to be rational and calm to guide them through that emotional chaos. So why do these happen other than they, so generally it's from immature brain development, but there are triggers. There are predictable triggers of tantrums in toddlers and young preschoolers. Some of these are avoidable, but not all of them. So I'd like to talk about these avoidable triggers and the unavoidable triggers. So toddlers have tantrums for many different reasons. And one of them is their, one of their physical needs is not being met. So kids, they get tired, they get hungry, or, you know, they're injured, or they're, they're wearing clothing that's bothering them, they're uncomfortable. So we can avoid some tantrums by just paying attention to our child's needs and meeting them before he needs to express that he needs those needs met, you know, through a tantrum. So the child will express that he needs to have the need met through a tantrum, but we need to meet the need before we get there. So we feed them at the same time every day for lunch and dinner. We put them down to bed at a regular time. Um, if our child is sensitive to particular clothing and we know they, they become uncomfortable, we can avoid that clothing. So physical needs. So they have a tantrum because one of their physical needs is not being met. Another avoidable trigger is overstimulation. So all kids can become overstimulated, but some kids seem to have a very low threshold for visual and auditory stimulation. I'm thinking of kind of like, um, we have this party place in our town where kids go and it has an arcade and a jumpy house and laser tag and it's good fun, but it's loud. There are a lot of lights flashing and it can be crowded. So the reality is some children, again, all children will have had enough at some point, but some of us have children where the threshold's very low. They cannot handle it for very long. So we have to kind of know that, know what their limits are and honor that. I also think that um, 
my daughter Lydia, she is very sensitive to scary or sad stories. So when she was a preschooler, I would often be surprised at how overwhelmed she would become by these kind of stories or movies. And I learned later that this is a real thing. Like some children are highly sensitized to um, scary or sad stories. So, I mean, we don't want to, uh, we don't want to put them in a bubble. So I still, Lydia still has stories that have sadness in them, but I'm just more... I'm just more aware of what would really be too much for her as compared to another child. And even with the um, auditory and visual stimulation, I mean, I don't want to put my children in a bubble, so we do still go to those kind of arcade places. But I just try to be a little more prudent about how much time they can handle before it's just really too much. Okay, and here is another avoidable trigger, wanting attention. I think we sense this often that a toddler is trying to get our attention. They they can feel disconnected from us. So little children, they're naturally egocentric. They're just naturally egocentric. They do not care that, you know, we have a report due the next morning or that our new baby needs us. They lack what's called mind sight. This is the ability to see things from the perspective of others. They just don't have that. So in this age range, we're talking about, you know, say a one to three or four year old. Children need to feel that they belong to us and that they are significant and special to us. So a, an infant gets their attachment needs met through physical touch, through the senses. Well, at this age range that we're talking about, they actually feel close to us by feeling that they belong to us and that they're really important and special to us. So we have to really overlove them in this area, like make them feel super confident that they are our special boy or our special girl and they are so important to us. That they're very significant. So if we, if we think that our child is having a tantrum because she needs connection, you know, because they're, we're distracted or there's a new baby in the picture. We can avoid this by ensuring that we spend one-on-one -on -one time with the child doing something special, just, our, just reminding them at bed how special they are, you know, just making sure that, that consistently we are meeting her need for feeling special and significant to us. And we have to do this before the child shows signs that she needs it. We have to fill the well before it empties. So by identifying these triggers, physical needs, overstimulation, and the child wanting attention, we are practicing the Christian virtue of prudence. I like Thomas Aquinas's explanation of prudence. It's not hesitating to act. Sometimes when you know, you hear the word prudent, you think, oh, someone's just really, you know, hesitant to act. It doesn't mean that. It's acting with wisdom. It's taking into account what you know through your experience and the advice of wise counsel. 
it also involves foresight. And this is what I'm talking about. So prudent, prudence involves foresight, knowing what to expect so you can plan ahead. So tantrums definitely give us an opportunity to exercise these prudence muscles. So we know what to expect. We know why they happen. We know what the triggers are. So we can plan ahead and avoid the tantrums. So you are identifying something that will lead your child into emotional pain and you're avoiding it. So this allows you to spend time with your child focusing on other good things, not trying to coach her through a meltdown. However, there are some tantrums that are unavoidable. They're just inevitable at this age from one to four years. Some children, my, my oldest son, Aiden, did not have tantrums until he was three. So I thought, oh, we, we don't have to worry about tantrums. But this sort of thing that we're talking about, it can happen anytime from 12 months into the fourth year. So from three to four years. And some of them are just unavoidable. And the big one that is unavoidable is frustration. Frustration. So children at this age, they don't communicate well. So they become frustrated or they become frustrated because they can't make their own choices. They feel powerless. So we can't avoid these frustrations. You can't avoid all tantrums. Children are constantly up against things they can't change. They can't change right now that they can't articulate their thoughts very well. They can't send the new baby back. They you know, can't have ice cream for dinner, right? There are just some things that are not appropriate to change. So they feel powerless and they feel frustrated and they get upset. So how do we handle this? So there are two approaches to this. So one approach, and this sounds uncomfortable for some of us, but you force your child to face the futility of the situation. So this is how the Newfeld Institute, Gordon Newfeld's Teaching Institute, he has parenting classes for parents and professionals. And this is, you know, he recommends that you just, just let your child face the futility of the situation. And once a child kind of accepts that there's no possibility that this thing is going to change or that our, we will change our mind, he will cry. And so according to Gordon, this is actually a good sign because it means that they're letting go. He cries because he's accepting the truth and it hurts, but they are, these are not bad tears. These are signs of him growing. So being a gentle parent doesn't mean that your child will never cry. I was very confused about this when I was a young mom wanting to parent in a more gentle, non-punitive way. I thought any signs of tears were a sign that I had gone wrong somewhere and I needed to figure it out. But that is not true. We are not harming our children by saying no when, it need, when we need to say no. And we are not harming our children by enforcing appropriate rules and boundaries. So just to back up, so of course we know that in, in little infants, in newborns and infants, we do not want to let them cry in distress. 
We know that. We know that it gets their cortisol up and it's bad for their brain development. But these are older children. So don't feel like you're being cru cruel to an older child by saying no that they cannot have cookies for dinner. So they might cry when you say that, but you know that you're, you're doing the right thing. So um, at some point, our child will ask for something and we'll say yes. So if they say, can we have you know, chicken for dinner instead of fish, you know, sometimes we will say yes. But at some point, your child will try to push a boundary and you will know it is not good to move the boundary. And our child will face that futility and may cry. The boundary isn't going to move. And now there are tears, but these are tears of growth. So you can comfort him and help him through it. We don't want to just let them, you know, lie there in a heap. So we you know we want to comfort them. But we all encounter things that we can't change. And as we mature, we have to develop the ability to adapt to this reality. And so some kids are growing up without this ability to adapt to fertility and to adjust their expectations and to, you know, know that they can get through it. So they, they can't cope. They can't cope with any kind of setback. So we don't want that for our kids. So forcing your child to accept, you know, limits and boundaries with our warmth and support is actually helping a child develop this kind of resilience. Now, I do think we can pick our battles. Of course, he can't send the new baby back. And of course, we don't want to give our kids, you know, candy for dinner. But I think there are some choices um, that we can give our children. So he feels a sense of agency. So I think little kids, they're, they're always having people, you know, plan their activities and pick out their clothes and pick out their dishes. And I've just come realized over time that letting my toddlers and young preschoolers have some sense of agency, let them pick the dishes they want, let them have a night of the week where they pick dinner within reason, let them pick out their clothing. Even if you're not comfortable with that every day, you can have one day where it's, you know, Jimmy's clothes, you know, clothes, you know, outfit day, and he gets to pick out his own clothes that day, maybe Saturday when you're not going anywhere. I personally let my kids pick out their clothes every day. So sometimes we do go places and it looks kind of interesting, but that's okay. That's okay with me. All right. So with the whole futility thing, I think the reason it's hard for some Americans to, it's hard for us to swallow because we I mean, having lived in two foreign countries, I can tell you that it is true. There is an American spirit of, I can do this, and, you know, nothing is impossible. And I love that. I love that American spirit. So, you know, we may feel a little resistant to this. So we feel like we can change anything as long as we set our mind to it. But in fact, that's not true. There are some things we cannot change. Like if our fish dies, we really cannot bring the fish back. <laughs> so this is the kind of thing we're talking about. So I do not want to squelch in my children that American spirit of determination and ingenuity. I love that. So I want to encourage my children in that. So I think I might be, I'm not as quick to want my child to think something is futile when I think maybe it's not like 
I don't know if they can come up with a really good plan for why we can get to Disneyland, even though I say it's too expensive. I want to encourage them to do that kind of brainstorming. But I don't want them to be kind of jerks. I don't want them to think that, you know, I don't want them to be so, um, I don't want them to be obnoxious. Some people are so obnoxious that they will never take no for an answer. So I don't want my, I want my kids to be able to accept a no with grace. And I think that's what Gordon Newfeld is talking about. True, futile, things that are truly futile. We want our children to experience those things. So I, w- I will let my kids experience that. And then the tears come and I help them through it. And I know these are tears of transformation. They're, their minds are becoming more adaptive. And that is a really good thing. So that will be it for today. So today I covered why tantrums happen and the difference between avoidable triggers and unavoidable triggers. What I didn't get to talk about is how we can handle them. How should we respond to a tantrum when it happens? Because they're inevitable. How can we handle them as gentle parents with grace? So I will talk about that in my next show. I hope that you will have peace as you move into this day, especially if it involves a tantrum. Have confidence in God's care for you and your child, even in the face of your child's chaotic emotions. God is always caring for your child and for you, and there are lessons to be learned even in those moments. Pray for me as I will for you. God bless. 